0: You're listening to the Business for Good podcast, the show where you'll hear inspirational stories about companies making money by solving some of the world's most pressing problems. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and I'm glad you've joined us. Hello, friend. You are listening to episode number 126 of the Business for Good podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We are thrilled to have you. If you're a longtime listener, you obviously must be a very smart, good-looking, witty, and high-status person. Nice job. No matter how long you have been listening, though, please do me a favor. I don't ask for much, but this Hanukkah, if you want to do something special, please feel free to go leave a five-star review for this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It will help other people find the show and hopefully help more people be in the business of doing good themselves. To that end, we've got a great show this episode with the CEO who happens also to be a longtime listener of this podcast, as she notes in the interview. Did you know that nearly half of all pregnancies in America are unintended? And that percentage skyrockets when we're talking about teen pregnancies, more than three-quarters of which are unintended. While teen pregnancies and teen births are thankfully at an all-time low in the U.S., we're still behind countries like the U.K. and Canada in this regard. A big reason teen pregnancies have fallen so dramatically in recent decades is simply that it's a lot easier to have access to contraceptives. But as evidenced by nations like the UK and Canada, there's still much more work that we Americans can do. After all, it's easy for men to get condoms pretty much everywhere, but not nearly as easy for women to get birth control. Females who have babies as teenagers are more likely to stay or fall into poverty, attain lower levels of education, have more health problems, and generally have worse life outcomes for the mother and the child alike. I should note that I happen to be married to someone who defied these odds and turned out to be just fine, despite being the product of a teen pregnancy. But still, the statistics speak volumes. And in a world with 8 billion of us and counting, it goes without saying that it'd be preferable if the only new people joining us were both intended and wanted by their parents. A big barrier toward that end is is that if women want to go on birth control, typically they require a prescription from a doctor, which is of course a hurdle, especially for teens. That's a hurdle that Cadence OTC, which stands for over-the-counter, is working to overcome. And we've got their CEO, Samantha Miller, on the show this episode to talk all about it. Side note, unrelated to this episode, but Samantha is also a plant-based foods advocate and is affiliated with the Good Food Institute as well. Cadence OTC has already raised $35 million in venture capital over the past six years to bring to market over-the-counter OTC birth control pills for females, both in the form of OTC birth control pills and OTC morning-after pills. As you can imagine, this is important work no matter what, but especially in light of the Supreme Court decision ending federal protections for abortion rights, greater and easier access to contraceptives is something all of us should be able to support. In fact, just this year in 2023, the FDA for the first time ever approved an OTC birth control pill for women. Impressively, Cadence just inked a deal with Little Drug Store Products, which services 180,000 retail locations, 180,000 retail locations, including convenience stores, to start carrying Cadence's morning after pill starting in January 2024. Not only will this pill be over the counter, but it will be half the price of the leading morning after pill. As Samantha points out, it's imperative that we make it easy, cheap, and convenient for women to control their reproductive destiny, which is exactly what Cadence OTC is working to do. So now I bring you their CEO, Samantha Miller. Samantha, welcome to the Business for Good podcast.
1: Great to be here, Paul. Good to talk to you. I'm a longtime fan of your podcast and your Better Meat Company.
0: Oh, wow. I'm so honored. I'm very thrilled that you are both a listener and now a guest. And as you may know, if you're a longtime listener, you know we've done some episodes relating to uh, contraceptives and family planning in the past. We did one with Your Choice Therapeutics, which was really trying to figure out a way to get Male contraceptives onto the market. Maybe one of the most popular episodes ever was with Dr. Eskar Guarin, who had famously vasectomized himself. He's a urologist who participates as a leader and spokesperson for World Vasectomy Day. We also had Family Empowerment Media on, which was trying to do basically work to help improve access and acceptance of contraceptives in developing countries in Africa. But shameful, we have never done an episode just on regular old female contraceptives, which are in great need of revolutionizing, which is why you are doing this, I know. But it's such an important topic. So first, let me ask you, what happened to you that this became the issue that you wanted to devote your life to?
1: Well, what happened is I've been in small pharma all of my career, and I spent the first half of my career really specializing in representing small small companies doing deals with large pharma. So all types of collaborations and technology acquisitions. And so when one of the legends in family planning put me into this, because so Malcolm Potts is a very interesting man. He's an obstetrician who has devoted his life to increasing access to contraceptives and actually mifepristone myth, as well. And he- What,
0: what, what is, uh, what is for for those who are uninitiated, Samantha, what's methapistron?
1: It, it's the abortion pill, the me- medicinal abortion, which he Thanks. helped to, to facilitate. Oh, so Malcolm Potts was the first international director of Planned Parenthood, medical director. And that was back in the 60s. And in 1969, he was quoted by by Reader's Digest as saying- it would be a benefit to humanity if we could put cigarettes on prescription and birth control pills and vending machines.
0: So uh, that's a good line. That's a really good line.
1: It's a good one. So he and his partner, another obstetrician devoted to family planning, Nap saying they were looking for someone to acquire products to, to initiate the first-in-class RX DOTC switch of the birth control pill. Because there's a big barrier, there's a big industry regulatory barrier to initiating this OTC process, and that is that you have to own the innovator rights to a prescription birth control pill that has a long history of safety, is one of the safest in the class, and that's the only way you can initiate the first-in-class switch. So you can't do it with a new product, and you can't do it with a generic product. So... They, they were referred to me as someone that might be able to get those product rights. And, you know, I'll never forget when, when they, you know, invited me to have coffee and they told me that, you know, they believe that this is a way to reduce unintended pregnancy. And when they told me that almost half of, of pregnancies are unintended in the U.S. today, that number really shocked me. I didn't realize it was so high. Mm -hmm. I hadn't worked in women's health in the past. And I would have guessed that it was like 20%. And the fact that it was almost half still at that point in time really hit me like a ton of bricks. So, you know, I honestly told them that it's unlikely that I could get these products for them because big pharma doesn't they, they don't do deals unless they're worth, you know, hundreds of millions. But I said I would try and I was in a good position to try because I was kind of in the club of what they call business development and licensing for pharma. And so I immediately went home and started trying that night and there was only four companies to call. So that's the interesting thing is that these product rights are held so closely that there's only you know, four or five companies on the globe that has that have these rights. And, you know, they it's not a priority for them. I mean, women's health is generally not a big priority in pharma. OTC is not a big priority in pharma. Right. And um so it, it wasn't gonna happen unless a small company acquired these rights and made it happen.
0: So let's talk about why it's important for that to happen. Let's just back up, right? Because you're uh, taking it for granted that this is somehow important and that it should happen. But why? Why, why does any of this matter? Like, what, what's the need in, in this market for change right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the interesting thing is when you look at when you look at birth control in America, it's not so much. I mean, there, there's technology. You know, we can always develop better technology. The, there's not. Misinformation is not a huge problem, but it's really surprising what a big problem there is with easy access. And with birth control, you have to have continuous access. If you have gaps in your in your access, you can you know, you can easily get pregnant. And so many pregnancies happen because women either have a gap in their refills by prescription or they don't have health insurance. So they they aren't getting pill Now the birth control pill is still the most popular form of female contraception by far. so until we develop something that women like better, we need to make the pill more accessible. Mm. And so so that's that's really the thought and there's been a lot of research showing that taking the pill off prescription and making it ubiquitous, ubiquitously available like condoms would really reduce unintended pregnancy. Well,
0: I want to get into why the pill is not over-the-counter, as you said, OTC before. Like, obviously, condoms are. But needless to say, you know, you're not—there's no hormones or anything associated with condoms. So I want to talk about why it is prescription only. But also, you know, if half the pregnancies are unintended— presumably you would expect that people who are against abortion, like a lot of those unwanted pregnancies, presumably end in abortion because they're unwanted. So you would think that those who would like to see fewer abortions conducted, whether they're pro-choice or pro-life, whether they want to see fewer abortions, this would be the biggest cause for them in the world to get more contraceptives, right? Is that the case? Is there as much support for contraceptives on both sides of the abortion debate?
1: So... It is a bipartisan issue. So there are a lot of people on the Republican side that are pro contraceptive access. And I would say it's, it's, you know, almost entirely supportive on the Democrat side. In fact, I've never heard anything to the contrary. There are groups that are, that resist contraceptive access. And there's you know, there's sometimes a myth that if you make contraceptives so easy to access, that it will somehow decrease promiscuity amongst young people. Which, right. you know, research have shown that's not even the case.
0: Right. Um, even if, it, 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 yeah, even if it were, you presume that people who are concerned about that would prefer promiscuity to abortion. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, c- considering considering that that worldview. So, okay, right now, like the best option for women is taking a pill every day. And that pill is only available by prescription. Why is that? Why can, you know, if if you are whether a teenager or or an adult woman and you want to be on the pill, you can't just go pick it up like you can get shaving cream, right? You need to go and actually get a prescription from a doctor, go get it. Why? Why is that?
1: Well, it's because the the regular combined birth control pill does have some contraindications. These contraindications are fairly rare in fertility age women, but there are some contraindications that need to be communicated. The most important one is that if you're over 35 years old and you smoke cigarettes, it's it's dangerous to take mm-hmm. the birth control pill.
0: And so contraindication for those who aren't medically familiar with that type of a term is basically it can be a problem in conjunction with something else. And you're saying age and smoking are two other factors. So it's not like a side effect inherent to this pill, no matter who you are. It's contraindicated, meaning that something else that you are taking or doing could be a problem in in association.
1: That's right. So the birth control pill is very safe for the vast majority of people. The other two contraindications are... If you have a, have a history of breast cancer, everybody knows that, you know, they don't take hormones after breast cancer. And then the third is that if you have uncontrolled hypertension, high blood pressure, you shouldn't take the birth control pill. Again, that's rare. That's quite rare in fertility age women, and it's easy to solve. So, But these are things that we need to communicate, and we need to communicate them effectively to the consumer without the, you know, doctor or nurse being present.
0: Okay. So that's this current status quo. Cadence has come up with an innovation that allows you to have a birth control pill that does not require that that is both effective and safe and does not require any prescription. So obviously uh, you know you've raised $35 million for the company over the past six years. So obviously somebody believes in what you're doing. But what is this innovation? Why is your pill so much better than the current pill that it doesn't even need a doctor's note?
1: Yeah. So it's not the pill itself. So what we acquired is we acquired the rights to two popular birth control pills. And the one we're bringing forward first is a birth control pill that has the lowest effective dose of estrogen, which is 20 micrograms, and the safest progestin, which is levonorgestrel. I know it's a little technical, but, but it is the safest formulation and and then the innovation that we're bringing is our communication so it's really the drug facts label for the consumer on the back of the box and it's the consumer information booklet and it's the warnings that we have in the front of the box so it's really in the packaging and the labeling and it's a surprisingly it's a surprisingly long and you know challenging process to Kind of iterate on how we're communicating with consumers and then continuously testing it with consumers. We have tested this with more than 5,000 women across the U.S. with different iterations of the packaging and labeling to make sure that when they look at our product, they know, okay, these are the con, you know, these are the reasons why I wouldn't take it. And we kind of screen out any woman that has the, the contraindication or any person that has the contraindication.
0: So if there's 20 micrograms of estrogen in your pill compared to the current pills that women take, is that less than that?
1: So <clears throat> it's just the lowest common the lowest dose contested. that women are currently That's taking. It. So when pills started out in the 60s, it, the first dose was 100 micrograms and it went to 50 micrograms for a while. Then it went down to <clears throat> 35. Today, it's between 20 and 35 is really the, the dose range used today.
0: So if you're successful, could the current incumbents in the birth control pill space just mimic your labeling and compete with you? Or would they have to actually change their formulation?
1: Precisely. They, they can do that. So the first company that does the, the the switch, it's a huge effort and a huge expense, and the reward for that is three years of exclusivity on the market. So that gives an opportunity to build the brand over three years
0: for, for Cadence. Which, like, you'll, for Cad- Cadence, will have three years of exclusivity, right? Okay.
1: For the combined birth control pill. Um. Afterwards, anyone can use our labeling and apply to to be over the counter where are you it know, opens where, the door for the whole for the full class long term and the fda takes it very seriously and you know there's a really high bar for achieving it
0: where are you right now when it comes to commercialization like how soon before a woman who wants to take cadence over-the-counter pill will be able to get it
1: so where i can describe where we are in the process we're not really you know predicting a timeline because it depends so much on FDA and their approval process so you know we have we've been collaborating very closely with FDA on this for 6 years and FDA goes through their own process it they have actually changed their approach along the way and so we've had to go backwards at certain points so I want to clarify that there's a new initiative with FDA that we are now following, which is to have this technology-assisted label where you go to a URL on any device through a QR code or through your computer, and you do an online questionnaire that walks you through the contraindications and make sure that you understand them. So the first time you buy it over the counter, you're going to be going through this online questionnaire. And it includes knowing your blood pressure. So it's, and this is a new initiative, actually, the statins are going through this as well. So the cholesterol medicines are going through this as well to go over over the counter. So this will be sort of a more high-tech approach to over the counter. But once we get through that, it should be available everywhere.
0: And would that be mandatory with going to that URL and typing in your blood pressure? And so is that mandatory or is it just something that is recommended to do?
1: It is mandatory. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So so it won't be like buying condoms, which anybody can buy without anything. You'll still have to do something, but you won't need a doctor's note. Okay. Got and it. presumably at the convenience store, they, you can find out your blood pressure. Like you don't have to go to a doctor to do that, right? That's right. So I, I read a press release saying that you intended by January of 2024 to be in thousands of convenience stores. Is that still the case right now?
1: So so there's two different products that were, there's two sides to Cadence. The daily birth control pill will not be available in 2024. That's the longer process of this first-in-class switch, which we're still on this journey. And we're making good progress. We, you know, we think we have agreement with FDA on, you know, on our online questionnaire and our labeling. The other side of cadence is that we believe that there's also a distribution problem. So there's there's three barriers to access to contraceptives in the United States. There's prescription, there's cost, and there's distribution. We actually want to address all three. And so, while we're on the path to solving the prescription problem for the daily birth control pill, we also want to solve the cost and distribution issues that we see with the emergency contraceptive. So, that's a very important product that's already over the counter. You know, medical Mm -hmm. groups and public health community fought so hard to get that over the counter in 2010 and yet there's still cost and distribution issues with that product. And that's what we're trying to solve today through the convenience channel.
0: Got it. So by emergency contraceptive, you mean like the morning after pill, right?
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And so that product will be from Cadence on thousands of convenience store shelves starting in January of 2024. Thank you for the correction. I just want to make sure that's right. That's right.
1: right. That's right. Yeah. And so, and it'll be half the price of the leading brand. Wow. And it wow. will be, will be targeting these healthcare deserts where they don't have large chain pharmacies like Walgreens and CVS. And so it's actually very hard to find. And Mm -hmm. it's a product that you need to take within hours. So it should be wherever condoms are sold. And this is something that is quite practical because the morning after pill is easy to manufacture, it's inexpensive to manufacture, it has a long shelf life, it weighs nothing because it's one tablet, and it should be everywhere, but it's not. Hmm. So we we intend to solve that.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm rooting for you to do so. So w- let me ask you, Samantha, obviously <clears throat> the Dobbs decision repealing Roe v. Wade is, or I guess I'd say overturning Roe v. Wade You know, people, women's reproductive access advocates have been decrying this ever since the last year since that happened. I'm sure that you would prefer for that not to have happened. But is it good for cadence? Like, is this attracting investors to you because there's now a greater need for your work than there maybe was before?
1: I would say yes. I think everyone agrees that contraceptive access is more important today than it has ever been, and we need to, you know, we need to solve these urgently, and that's why we decided to launch our morning-after pill early instead of waiting for the daily birth control pill and, and launching them together. You know, we've also, we've been on a long path. It, You know, this process takes longer and is more expensive than people expect. And so we do need um, new supporters, new investors. We are a public benefits corporation and all of our investors are social impact investors that care deeply about contraceptive access. And we need more people to come forth to support the, the, the OTC switch initiative.
0: Nice. So are there states that are trying to curtail what you're doing? Obviously, there are states that are you know, doing heartbeat bills or six-week bans and so on, but have any of them started coming after the morning after pill yet?
1: No, not to our knowledge, to our product. There has been some resistance in the past, and part of the issue was actually a labeling issue because there was a legacy element on the morning after pill label where one of the mechanisms was preventing implantation of a fertilized egg. There was not good evidence for that. The 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 evidence is that the that the mechanism is preventing or delaying ovulation. So really puts the brakes on on the egg and and does not it it will not harm an existing pregnancy. And if you're if you already have fertilization it will not affect That pregnancy going forward. So it's not an abortion agent. Sometimes people confuse the morning after pill with the abortion pill. They're two completely different molecules. The morning after pill is actually just the safe progestin in birth control pills, but at 15 times the dose. So it's one pill, one big shot of progestin that just puts the brakes on the egg.
0: Interesting. Okay. I want to go back, Samantha, to something you said earlier about 50% of American pregnancies being unplanned or I should say unwanted, not just unplanned, but even unwanted. So I was reading the stats on teen births and teen pregnancies, which apparently are at an all time low in the United States right now. So a few decades ago, it was like 60 births per teen female per 1000 teen females. And now it's only 15. So we're still behind countries like Canada and the UK who have even lower teen birth rates. But what was so interesting to me was when you look at what the reasons for this are, there are many why teen birth rates have fallen. What do you think is the reason why we have so few teen births today compared to a few decades ago?
1: So I'm not an expert on this. So my my thoughts are you know, are are only my thoughts. I do have three young adults, myself, two to college or three college age kids and to our daughters. You know, I think that what resonates with me is that they have more activities, that life is more interesting. There's, you know, I, I do credit technology with this to some extent that there's there's more awareness there's more information and there's less boredom that's my thought what's your thought
0: well my thoughts are only based on what i read from the pew research center so you're you're basically euphemistically trying to say they're sleeping around less right they're having less sex as teens which appear according to pew is part of it but they say the bigger part is just greater access to contraceptives yeah. that there's just way more contraceptive access today than yesterday basically And so even for teens who aren't having less sex than teens in the past, essentially, you've got a way easier time preventing pregnancy. And so that, of course, then would be suggestive that your work, if you could make it even easier to prevent teen births, that maybe we could get closer in line with some of these other developed countries that we compare ourselves to, like Canada and the UK, which have even lower teen birth rates than we do in the united states and the statistics are pretty sobering like you know teen teen births are associated with all types of really sad health outcomes economic outcomes and so on now i happen to be married to somebody who was the product of an unplanned teen birth both of my wife's parents were teenagers when she was born and so she turned out okay so she beat the odds but The statistics are not that good, that, you know, it's a very good way to fall into poverty or to remain in poverty to have a teen birth.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the consequences of unintended pregnancy for both the mother and the children are really profound in terms of, you know, poverty and, and other bad outcomes, prison, addiction, homelessness. And it's not just teens. It's also, you know, women in their 20s that are, you know, that don't have a stable father, don't have a stable work life and living situation. So we we need uh, control.
0: Right. Yes, uh, indeed. I, I totally agree with you. Let me ask you. So, you know, there are some people who are uh interested in this topic for two reasons: one, for the reasons that you just noted that women should be in control of their reproductive destinies, and the other is that in a world where there's eight billion of us who've got a lot of people walking around, very heavy footprint, if people want to have fewer kids, they should be able to and that's basically the point of the family empowerment the family empowerment media who uh, episode that we did earlier, which we'll link to in the show notes at this episode at uh, businessforgoodpodcast.com. dot com but their argument is you know if people don't want to have kids, we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't force them to have kids, we should give them every opportunity if they don't want to have them. I know that you are particularly interested in climate and the planet. And so because I I know that you are really into plant based eating and so on. So I'd love to know, Samantha, first, how that happened for you, how you got interested in plant based eating and making that connection. And does that weigh on you at all? Do you feel like that's a secondary benefit to what you're doing as well? like a planetary benefit, not just the individual benefit, but the social benefit?
1: Yes, a hundred percent. I really have had a great connection to nature and animals since I was, you know, a child, and that has been a constant. And then, as I, you know, more recently, ha- and and I was a vegetarian most of my life. As I have become more educated and aware of the impact on the planet of animal agriculture and other issues related to what we're doing to nature, I have become, you know, just more, more passionate about it and see it as really a, you know, necessary for survival of my grandchildren. So, yes, yeah, we need to only have the children that we intend and want to have.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, It would seem like that shouldn't be a controversial statement. What you just said, we should only have the children who we intend and want to have. Um, but I do think that in some parts of uh, society, that is um, maybe more controversial than I would have imagined, at least. Um, but I am really hopeful that your projection is correct, that in January, that your morning after pill will be available in thousands of uh, convenience stores in these so-called what what you call it I think healthcare deserts is that we said
1: well that's right and a little bit more about healthcare deserts you know one of the things that really drives us is the mission towards equity because what we have today is we have an unequitable access whereby people that live in major metropolitan areas and fancier neighborhoods have easy access to over the, to anything over the counter. And yet there's, it, there's <laughs> healthcare deserts are defined as places, often small towns or low income parts of inner cities that don't have good healthcare services. Well, it turns out that they not only don't have good healthcare services, professional services, but actually they don't have access to over the counter medicines and healthcare products which is which they need more than than other people because they're not having the professional services and you know over the counter is it's an avenue whereby if we can just get everything that is available over the counter to these healthcare deserts that's a step in the that's a big step in the right direction so yeah it's really about equity as well
0: nice okay As you know, because you are a listener of this show, Samantha, we always ask at the end of every episode whether there are companies that you think could better the world that you you hope that somebody listening might start. So knowing what you know and what companies are and are not out there, what do you hope that somebody listening might take away from this and go start their own?
1: Well, yeah, I I did give that a little bit of thought. And, you know, I do, referring back to the episode you had on your choice, male contraceptive research, I think there really needs to be more more research, more development for male contraceptives. I think it's a big opportunity. I think men are becoming more enlightened and many want to participate in family planning in a more direct way. And I think there's there's a lot that can be done there, and it's a big market. So I hope that there will be more companies that work on male contraceptives,
0: yeah, it's totally insane, like that the the only real options for men are other condoms or vasectomy. That's like totally insane. Uh, I have this thought that you could basically in order to in t- I mean I don't know technologically how this would work, but if you had something that was like a pill that men could take that would render them incapable of fertilizing a woman. In order to incentivize men to take it, it would have to have like some type of performance enhancement associated with it, right? So it'll be like, I don't know about Viagra, but you know, because you don't want people taking that daily, I guess. But you know, I, you know, something where there's not just the sole reproductive control aspect or some other performance enhancement. So I'm gonna augment your suggestion, Samantha, and say maybe that's what somebody could do and they would get a lot of news attention for that. Okay. Finally, let me ask you about resources that have been helpful for you because. You know, six years ago, you said you were involved in small pharma, which is an interesting I never heard of small pharma before. So thank you for introducing that into my own lexicon. But you were involved in small pharma, you decided that you're going to start this company, you've raised 10s of millions of dollars, you're getting ready to commercialize a product onto 1000s of store shelves and and start fulfilling the mission that you have devoted yourself to for all these years. Are the resources that are helpful for you along this way, if somebody is impressed and inspired by what you've done that you would recommend for them?
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough one because there's of course there's some resources that are important and maybe somewhat esoteric to what we're doing. You know, I think one one thing I want people to think about is that when you is is this concept that over the counter products are outside the realm of regulations and politics and when you take something outside the realm of of regulations and politics, it puts it in the hands of the people. And so I would like, <clears throat> there's not enough, there's not enough effort for over-the-counter switches. It's actually a really neglected area in our view. And so when you talk about opportunities, I'd like to add that. And and then the resources around that are, 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 are retail resources and convenience stores. And we really see convenience stores as a way to build Healthcare products and convenience stores in the past have been mostly cigarettes, alcohol, you know, snacks. Let's build a healthcare section because of where they are, they're everywhere. There's 150,000 of them. So let's create a healthcare section and particularly urgent products. And, you know, I, there, there's many products that are urgent. So there's that. I also want to mention that.
0: I do want to say one thing you could say is your, your, You know, putting the convenience in convenience store to have the convenience of family planning right at your fingertips.
1: That's right. Convenience matters there. So the other one is there's a if if people want to know more about the birth control pill, there's a great book that is the history of the pill by Jonathan Egg, which is just as fascinating.
0: His his last name his last name is really Egg.
1: It's E I G.
0: Ah, okay. All right. Well, that would have been pretty ironic if the guy who wrote the book about the birth control pill was actually named Egg, but still pronounced that way. All right. So, The the History of the Pill by Jonathan Igg or Egg, we will- Actually, uh, it's called
1: The Birth of the Pill.
0: Oh, The Birth of the Pill. Thank you for the correction. So, we'll include a link to that book in the show notes. That sounds pretty interesting. I'd love to read that myself. So, we'll include a link to that at businessforgoodpodcast.com.
1: Yeah. And then I'll say that, you know, honestly, your podcast and- The, how I built this podcast has been a constant inspiration and, and kind of strength for me because I love listening to stories of other entrepreneurs that go through really tough, you know, really tough hurdles, difficult times where they want to, they want to quit and they don't quit and they achieve their mission at the end. And that's just important to to all of us that are in the entrepreneurial journey, which can be lonely and discouraging.
0: I'm definitely familiar with that, not just through this podcast and how I built this, which I also really like, but through my own personal experience running a company, I often joke, although it's not really a joke that, you know, running a company, it's kind of like beating your head against the wall every single day. And people look at you and they think, why are you doing that? You're going to break your head and you just have to have the confidence that the wall will break first. That's really it. Like, you know, you're going to break the wall, the wall will not break you. And I'm very hopeful that you break through the wall and help make it easier for people to be in control of their own reproductive destinies. And As you pointed out, to only have the kids who they intend and want to have. So, Samantha, I really appreciate all that you're doing at Cadence OTC and i look forward to being able to go to a convenience store and see your product on the shelf it wouldn't be that useful for me or my wife personally but i'm thrilled that it is useful for uh, other people who will very probably urgently need it so thanks so much for all you're doing
1: thank you and thank for all thanks for all you're doing and it's been it's been a delight to talk to you
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you found it useful. And if you did, please let the world know. Leave the show a five star rating on your favorite podcast app and share the episode with your friends. Who knows? Maybe you'll inspire one of them to be in the business of doing good themselves.